Yeah, there was a lot of, I mean, it was just like a super creative time on the internet where people were pushing the boundaries of what you could get people to do on their phones. Remember, like, you know, Dodgeball and Foursquare are similar projects, but like Dodgeball was for flip phones. No GPS, no color screen, no apps, no social network, right? It was in the pre-Facebook days, pre-Friendster days, right? And, you know, the iPhone changed everything, like re real regular people, not tech nerds, regular people would download apps and they would want to participate in these larger communities doing stuff on their phones. And that it just changed, it changed everything, really. Every business, whether or not they realize it, is an idea business. The people at Gray have a long history of creating famously effective ideas. And so, with Gray Matter, we explore the ideas shaping our world. We ask creative minds from all corners of life how they came up with their best ideas. And that's what matters for Gray Matter. On this episode of Gray Matter, we'll pinpoint the location of where an idea was crafted and track down the origins of a community that integrated social media with the real world. Hi, I'm John Petrolis, Worldwide Chief Creative Officer at Gray. This week's idea is the location-based technology company, Foursquare. We connected with co-founder Dennis Crowley to discuss how an idea that started on flip phones became a pioneer of the app economy on smartphones. Dennis spoke with Gray's Executive Director of Social, Kenny Gold, to discuss the early days when the idea was called Dodgeball, the fictional inspiration that led to the idea, and where the mayor badge was cooked up. Founded in 2005 and eventually sold to Google, Dodgeball was one of the first location-based social services. When Dennis eventually started Foursquare, he had no idea how big the global reach was for the platform he created. If you ever checked in to a restaurant, store, or park, you can thank Dennis and the Foursquare team for that. Dennis helped build other early location-based games like Pac-Manhattan and Conquest. He was named 40 Under 40 by Fortune, was a member of Vanity Fair's new establishment, and in 2009, won the Fast Money bonus round on Family Feud. Dennis is also founder and owner of the Kingston Stockade Football Club, a semi-professional soccer team. The team is based out of Hudson Valley, New York, where he and his family split their time when they aren't in New York City. This is Dennis Crowley. Well, okay, well, Foursquare is, is a lot of ideas rolled into one. And it's hard to talk about the Foursquare story uh, without talking about all the things that happened before that. And, you know, I had a company before Foursquare, it was called Dodgeball. And Dodgeball was actually, um, before it was a company, it was our grad school thesis project at NYU. And before it was our grad school thesis project, it was, um, it was kind of this manifestation of Harry Potter's Marauder's Map, meant for New York City, on flip phones from 2001, in an age where all of my friends got laid off from their dot-com jobs. And so, you know, the very beginning of the story is reading that Harry Potter book, number two or number three, reading about the Marauder's Map and being like, someone should make one of those for New York. Hey, that sounds like a cool project. Let's make that. You know, you can know where all of your friends are at any time because I don't have a job. I got laid off. You got laid off. All my friends got laid off. Let's Let's make something that lets us know where everyone else is so we can find them during the day and during the night and just hang out more often. And so that, that's, where, that's where it started. Um, you know, like Dodgeball, the thesis project, ended up being acquired by Google, the big internet company, in like 2005, right? So we went and worked at Google for two years trying to, you know, make 
social stuff work and mobile stuff work. Yeah, it was kind of the intersection of social software, mobile phones, and you know, location-based technology. Um, and then when it just it ultimately just it didn't work out at Google. Like we just couldn't get it to work. So when we left, Google turned Dodgeball off, and and we we told all of our friends like if they ever turn it off, we're just going to make you another one. So we made a new one, and we made that new one called Foursquare. Now the thing was like we knew that there was all sorts of cool data to, or cool insights that would come out of like this idea of people checking into places. Um, like we knew that was a really interesting like user pattern and, and, and generated really cool data. Um, but what Dodgeball was never able to do is to get people check in everywhere. People checked in you know, at bars and restaurants and maybe if they wanted someone to meet up with them. So that's where we kind of came up with this idea of like, hey, let's turn Foursquare into a game. Like let's turn life into a game. Let's give people points and prizes and badges for accomplishing stuff. Just like you know, a Boy Scout or a Girl Scout would – would get a badge for becoming really good at woodworking. Like you would get a badge for going to all of the bars all the time, right? Let's make a leaderboard for Saturday night, right? So, you know, like you play Pac-Man in the arcade and you get number one on the, on the high scoreboard. Well, let's make a high scoreboard, but for who did fun stuff, who had the most fun this weekend? Like what, what does a product like that look like? And so that's, that's, you know, that was a very, very early days of Foursquare. For people who are listening First and foremost, I would I, I don't want to get eviscerated for for my Harry Potter knowledge. Prisoner of Azkaban, Mar- Marauder's Map, first appearance, uh, and and um, you know one of the biggest treasures from the series, like really like a thing that that Harry coveted and was a big big part of the story. The reason why I say it and why I lean into it is, uh, as someone who is working in social media in the the late. You know the the early two thousands and and into the the aughts, uh, Foursquare was a huge huge deal for for how we behaved with our friends, how we behaved with our coworkers. Everyone was always trying to be the mayor of our office. Everyone was always trying to get the seafood badge or the taco badge. And I remember going to South by and wanting to you know get the taco badge for going to the most taco places, the barbecue badge. Um, so it was. Uh, it was the first time that our post-college life was actually gamified in such an interesting way, and it and it created uh, such connectivity. So, uh, really love that. So, when the idea started to formulate, and you have the benefit of sort of creating it once, and then learning from creating it once to create it again and make it better and bigger and bolder. What about the idea and and rolling out the idea surprised you? Uh, the way people reacted or what, what was the biggest surprise? Um, you know, that, that, that really, that actually turned into anything and you know, th- that, that kind of on like a, on an abstract level, right. You got to remember like when we, when we built this stuff, people are like, these, this is stupid. These are toys. Why don't you go get a real job? Like go work at a bank or something, go work at a, you know, that, that's, that's the feedback that we would get when we started Foursquare. Like, why are you doing this again? You already did this. You brought it to Google. Google didn't want it. Like wh- why try this again? We're like, I think there's something cool. People laughed at us. Right. And like, that, it's hard to get, it's hard to get over that initially. The second thing, once people stopped laughing at us and there was a lot of people using it was just how quickly it it grew. I remember going to one of our very first board meetings after we had raised like a million dollars as a company and we were going to be a real company that hired real people and gave health and be- 
health insurance and and you know um, salaries to people. Like we had a board meeting, and you know Fred Wilson, one of the investors from Union Square Ventures, was like, "When are you going to hit a million users?" And I was like, "A million users? We'll never hit a million users. That's insane." And of course, like six months later, we were growing by a million users a month, and we just had no. We, we had no insight into how that was going to happen. We were totally naive that it would ever happen. And, you know, of course, Fred and the, and the folks from Union Square Ventures, like they had seen Zynga and Tumblr and Twitter. Like they know, like, this is how companies grow. This is what's going to happen. You're on the ride, you know, whether you like it or not. We had just never been on the ride before. So we, we had no idea what, what we were getting ourselves into. And it was it's really hard to scale a company that's growing that quickly. I don't mean like you know, with employees and stuff, you have like all these customer service issues, you have technical scaling issues, you've got, you, you, you know, people using your product all around the country, all around the world, you know, in languages you don't speak, in languages you've never heard of before. Um, it's, I mean, it's, it was a lot to, to, to keep up with. And we, we were so naive about just what it's like to, to grow and scale a company like that. So you talk about, you, you know the questions that were being asked by someone like Fred, who's a an iconic investor, and and talking about sort of Google didn't Google wanted it and then didn't want it. So that that covers the critics. But who were the biggest cheerleaders? Who were on the who was on the sideline saying, "You got this, Dennis." I I don't know. You know, it it was like our it was our friends, right? It was our friends that's that that lived it every day. You know, like. When people use dodgeball and people are still reminiscent of those dodgeball days, like it was just a product that solved a problem and it worked really well. And like, you know, it was before the heyday of the iPhone. So if you got a text message from dodgeball that said two of your friends are over here, you kind of dropped everything that you were doing and you went there. And so those people just kind of they just got it. And we had a couple hundred of those people in, you know, 10 or 12 or 20 cities around the country so that when Foursquare came around again, those those people just got it. And they kind of knew that, um, okay, you're, you're working on something good. But you know who got it is that the investors got it, right? The investors got it in a way that we that we didn't get it. It's actually a guy named Charlie O'Donnell um, who used to work for Unisquare Ventures and now runs his own venture firm in New York called Brooklyn Bridge. And he wrote a blog post, I think in like September of 2009. And, and the blog post like, I've, you know, I've seen the future of Yelp and it's called Foursquare. And he was the first to describe kind of this ecosystem of like, all right, people use this app, they check into places. Um, when they check into places, it gets broadcast to social media, basically advertising those places. The merchants want that to happen because it's free advertising. So the merchants offer free stuff, which gets more people checking in, which creates this like flywheel. And we just we just didn't really, we didn't get that. We, we didn't see that. We were so heads down in building our thing that we, we didn't see that. You know, there was, um, there was also this kind of this like infamous Flickr post. This is, remember Flickr? It's like Instagram, but... Of course. For the web, yeah, 2.0 or whatever. Um, someone posted, I remember this, someone posted a, a picture on Flickr in like the summer of 2009. And it was like, a, a, you know, bootleg version of the Foursquare logo. It was a fly. It was a flyer hanging on a telephone pole in somewhere in San Francisco. And it's like, hey, if you show us that you check in, we will give you a free cupcake or something. And someone took a picture of it and sent it to me. It's like, hey, is this cool? Like, are you okay with them using your logo? And I was like... I guess. I mean, they're doing something I never thought of doing. They didn't build a product for this. This is a merchant, like kind of like quote unquote hacking Foursquare to get people to do something, and and that foreshadowed like 
the early merchant tools that we would build, the, the relationship that we would have with local merchants. Like people, you know, the users and merchants and just thinkers in the space were showing us the future of the product because we were so knee deep in it that we didn't see it ourselves. And so it wasn't that like people were just like cheer, like there were sure there was plenty of cheerleaders, right? Um, but there was people that saw the product in a way that we didn't. And I think we were wise to listen to those people and be like, hey, you're on to something like, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll follow the users down this path and we'll build them some tools and, and see where this goes. And that worked out pretty well for us. That's great. Thank you for sharing all that's so interesting. Um, you know, I'm always fascinated with how ideas come together and the speed in which they come together. So I would love to understand from the minute you had the idea to the minute it was out in the world, what was sort of the timetable? And if you want to talk about it as it pertains to dodgeball, but then also talk about it as it pertains to Foursquare, that's that's pretty interesting also. Yeah, you know, with dodgeball, I, I, I don't even remember. I mean, the, 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 the timeline was like 30 days. It's like, hey, we should make this thing. Let's try to make it. And it just kind of came together. But there was like 12 people using it back in 2001, 2002, right? It just wasn't, it was, a, it was like a pet, a pet project of mine. And ne- never had the, you know, just never saw like, oh, this could be a company will raise money for this someday. If you told me that back then, I'd be like, that's absolutely bonkers. We'll never do that. Um, you know, with, with Foursquare, you know, we had learned a lot by going through that Google experience. And we, we learned a lot about, um, you know, just like sometimes you have a vision for what the future looks like. And some people just don't understand the vision. And that doesn't mean that your vision is bad. It just means you have a lot of work to do trying to educate people that your vision's good. And so we just like we just put our head down and we just cranked for like a year making stuff, you know, like the very first prototypes of Foursquare came together be- between the beginning, you know, call it the end of 2008 until the beginning of 2009. And this is when me and, you know, my co-founder Naveen were kind of working side by side on it. But, you know, th- we weren't, there was no urgency, you know, in, in um, I think it was in January of 2009 where Google announced that they were going to turn off um, Dodgeball. And that's when we were like, okay, we're going to make another one. Well, let, let's give ourselves a deadline. Uh, well, there's this conference coming up. It's called South by Southwest. It takes place in the middle, in early March. Let's get this thing ready by then. That's the deadline. That's the date that you have to turn the paper into the teacher, basically. And, um, you know, it wasn't a thing to launch a product at South by Southwest, but we were thinking like, hey, we know some people that are there. It'll be easy to go show this off to a lot of people in one spot. So that's what we'll do. But we, we got a lot done in those, in those three months. Um, and, and that was kind of that was kind of the launch. But like a lot of these ideas of like, you know, turning life into a game and, you know, leaderboard for Saturday night, like that stuff was kind of marinating in our head for for a year, more, more than a year, you know, loosely inspired by, you know, I, I had worked after Google. I, I had a small stint at a game design company and, and, and that stuff that got me thinking about stuff. This is like in the very early days of uh, the Nike running app which would get, had challenges that you could run against friends. And it kind of gave you a leaderboard for how many miles that you would run against your friends. And so, you know, you start to think about these, these types of things. And, you know, our, our unique lens was like New York City nightlife, right? Like I lived in the East Village. I went out every single night. I had a lot of friends that we'd meet up with all the time. And so we were just making like basically toys for our group of friends that met up at the bar every night. 
And every night you'd go out and you'd be like, okay, I got a new build of this thing. It's got some new toys in it. Let me know what you think. See you tomorrow. You know, and that, that was our, our dev cycle. It was, it was wild. Fascinating. Like I, I just, I am always just, these are world changing ideas and the speed in which they come to fruition is just so fascinating. Um, I want to pivot and talk a little bit about the name. How did Foursquare come to be? And then if you want to maybe talk about the split into Swarm and Foursquare also. You know, Dodgeball was Dodgeball just because, like, that was a domain name that we I picked up in college, you know. And uh, actually, we you know, we tried to get Foursquare back in co- We used to play Foursquare all the time, like, on the quad and on the sidewalk at Syracuse. I went to Syracuse University. And that was just a game that we played. It was super fun. Um and I wanted to get that name, but it was, it was owned by somebody. And I was like, that's a bummer. Well, let's get Dodgeball instead. Um, and then Dodgeball, just like as a domain that I had, it, it belonged to a bunch of projects before the one that we're talking about, this you know City Guide Friend Finder thing took off, and then that I gave that name to it. So when you know when we when Dodgeball went away and we were starting a new company, it's like, well, let's call it Foursquare because that's what Dodgeball was supposed to be called. But this time we had some venture capital money. And so I went back to the guy that owned the name back when I was in college and said, hey, you know, you and I talked like 10 years ago and I didn't have any money to offer you, but I got some money now because I got some VC money. And, you know, we gave him, you know, a couple thousand bucks for the name and we bought it. And so I was like, oh, yeah, Foursquare. Now now the world is is complete. You know, th- this project that was supposed to be called Foursquare to begin with is, is now is now called Foursquare. And then, you know, my college roommate who designed the Dodgeball logo did the same logo for Foursquare. Um, before it was just a word mark, it was a picture of a boy and a girl like bouncing a ball, which is very similar to the to the Dodgeball logo of many, many years ago. Um, yeah, so it was, you know, we always thought of it as, as like these are light, casual, like playground games. You know, like they're not they're not big strategy games that take up two hours of your day. It's like you know, a game you can dip in and out of. You can play it anywhere because you have a, you draw the court in chalk, right? And so th- there was some kind of, you know, deliberate um, decision around around the name. And, you know, the, the tagline for, for the products used to be called, you know, like when, when New York City is your playground, what do you do? You use dodgeball. When New York City is your playground, what do you do? You use Foursquare. And it's, you know, just kind of had a nice poetic thing to it. Um, <clears throat> so the, the app split, right? So when we started Foursquare, um, we had a lot of good ideas. I had a lot of good ideas about city guides, um, about recommendation engines, about you know check-ins, uh, friend finders, uh, turning life into a game. And Naveen and I, um, you know, it's like let's just take instead of making five apps, let's just take all the ideas that we have and just crush them into one app. And and maybe maybe something will work. Maybe people will like one of the five things. And it turned out that the kind of ecosystem of all these things playing against each other, like, oh, you check in, you know where your friends have been, it recommends places to you, you know where to find your friends, you get, you know, encouraged through game mechanics to do more of this stuff. That, that was a very, like, a, a very cool ecosystem. It was a very effective ecosystem at getting people to stick inside of the product and to use it a lot. And so it wasn't that any one of those things stood out. It was more like, well, all these things working together works pretty well. And, and that, that carried us for a long time, you know, like a million users, 5 million users, 10 million users. It, was, it wasn't until we started getting around like 30 million users that 
people would look at the product and be like, I have no idea what to do with this thing. I, I read about, I heard about it on Good Morning America and it said I can save money at Dunkin' Donuts if I check in and I don't understand what the hell this thing does. And we, we you know, we would do user surveys. Like we had a, you know, maybe a hundred person company at the time. We're going out, you know, user research, user design, running these surveys. And people, people just didn't understand it because it was complicated. And, and this was in the, you know, we were about to enter this phase of unbundling apps, right? Facebook was the first one to do it with like the mess with Facebook messenger and the, and the camera app. And Google was starting to do it with a couple different apps. And, you know, this idea of like one company can have multiple apps. And I was like, well, maybe that's what we should do. We'll have an app for checking in. We'll have an app for, um, you know, like for a city guide recommendations and they can still fit together and, <clears throat> and play nice together. There can still be an ecosystem there. Um, so that that's, you know, that's what the user research was, was telling us. Um, you know, I think where we kind of whiffed on that is like, that's what the new users wanted to, to and that's what we needed to really grow. But the existing users were like, I don't want that. I, I want my old Foursquare back. And so I think we kind of, you know, messed that up a little bit. Uh, and it took us like a year to kind of put all those pieces back together. Um, but I can say that in hindsight, it was much easier for us to maintain two separate products with two individual narratives than it was to try to teach this mass of people that this one thing did did everything. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's, it's a lot to unpack there. But That was all of the, in all of the years that I used the app. I kind of am kicking myself because the simplicity in all it takes is draw the four square court with chalk. Like I always knew I under I always understood the game and I and I played as a kid, but but the you created that simplicity, which is you know we always talk about simplicity and ideas is key. Um, so this is a little bit of a weird one, and then we'll get more into into creating the idea, but was there ever uh, a mayoral badge that you had that you were particularly proud of? Um, in the, yeah, in the early days, it was all the local bars, right? Um, and in particular, my, my local coffee shop that I'd go to like every day, it was this place called Think Coffee. Um, and, you know, it's, down, it's still there on the corner of uh, Bleecker and uh, Bowery. I, you know, I've been loyal to Think Coffee because we you know, we built the first prototype of Foursquare. We, we, we basically camped out at the, the Mercer Street location for six months and just worked there and mooched off their Wi-Fi. And that's where we built. That's where we built Foursquare 1.0. That's where the that's where the mayor mechanic came from. Like some a buddy stopped by and he's like, you guys are like the mayor of this place. You know, you're here every day. And I was like, I bet you we could actually calculate that based on the number of checks. I mean, that that's where the, the thing came from. And then we turned it into a, a mechanic. I think that was my buddy Chad Stoller to give him credit for it. Um, and you know, like just just the places that are special for for us. Like th even this morning, um, you know, I, I stopped to get coffee at another Think Coffee. It's the one on Sixth and Eighteenth Street, I think it is. And um, you know, I checked in and I was like, some some other guy had taken the mayorship from me. Who knows when? And I was like, I I will not stand for that. I will win it back. And so, you know, it's, we, that mechanic is 12 years old, but it still is, is relatively good at getting under your skin and, you know, engaging people. We, we hear that all the time. Um, and that, that's cool. It's one of the cool things about the product. Like it just, 
it still lives on, you know, and it, it, it's still little nuggets of the product are still very meaningful for people. Well, uh, if you're an inventor or an ideator or a creator and you want to go to the thing coffee on Mercer between, you know, West third and West fourth, you might want, you might be able to challenge, uh, Dennis's mayorship at some point. Um, all right. Well, um, would you you talked about the sting of sort of Google being like we're moving on from this and you you create Foursquare as a as a reaction a result of that? Um, what were some of the the initial failures that you had to overcome in creating everything that you, you, your solutions in, in retrospect were probably quite elegant? But what were some of those those speed bumps that you had or obstacles you had to overcome early on? We, we got off the ground pretty quickly with Foursquare for, for two reasons. Number one, we, we had a very clear sense of what we wanted to, to build, right? Like we had lived through the dodgeball experience for, you know, I, I was basically working on dodgeball for like eight years, off and on, side project, you know, or at Google, somewhere in between there. And, you know, just had a lot of ideas of things I wanted to build, just never got to build. And it's like, we're going to raise some money. We're going to hire some people. We're just gonna we're just gonna run this playbook again. We're gonna run run this this roadmap again, and that and that's what we did. And there was a lot of other companies trying to compete with them, and a lot of those companies were like, I feel like feeling their way around the darkness or navigating the forest, trying to figure out what to do. And we we didn't have that. Like we knew what we were building. Um, and um, you know, I, I I should say just to give Foursquare some some credit, even though like we even though the company you know, even though the product was like a, a game, right? You're, you're getting badges and mayorships and people are checking into places. Like we, we knew like we are crowdsourcing a map of the world. Uh, it turns out that we're crowdsourcing it much faster than ever. It is the most accurate up-to-date map that anyone has ever made. And it's like, that is incredibly powerful. And then we're getting signals of which people are going to which places, which you could tell from the early days, like this is incredibly valuable data. We, like we, we had this insight at Google, we just didn't have the scale of the data to really prove it. And, you know, within like a year of Foursquare, it's like, holy cow, there's a lot of data here. You look at this, look at where people are going. This is amazing. And then we we also knew from the early on that, um, that um, like, listen, it, it is it is a real, uh, it's a real blessing that there's 50 million people in the world that want to take their phone out of their pocket, open our app and spend 30 seconds to press a check-in button when they go to the zoo or go to a coffee shop or go meet their friends somewhere. But that is not going to last forever. What we need to do as a company to be strategically relevant in the future is we need to make a check-in button that you never have to press, which is a piece of software that would run in the background that would understand, like, even if you're not using the app, like, oh, this phone likes to go to this coffee shop. This phone likes to go to this grocery store. This phone likes to do these types of things so that we could pop up notifications in the future and say, I have exactly the right thing for you to do right now. You've never been there before. You've never even heard of this place. You've never been there before. You're going to love it, right? That was part of the part of the mission. And so we spent, we spent years trying to build that piece of software. It's, it's called Pilgrim, it powers every single thing that Foursquare does. It is the reason that Foursquare is still a dominant and extremely relevant player in the location technology space today. And But we spent years banging our head against the wall trying to make this thing that was basically impossible to make with the technology in 2010. And, you know, our relentless pursuit of tr- like, you know, almost to insanity of trying to make this thing and, you know, even when it didn't work, continuing to try to make it work. And even when the board was like, 
guys, is this ever going to work? Like we spent a lot of money trying to make this thing being like, I, I swear we can get this working. I swear. Give me another six months on it. You know, that, that thing, which I think it started working in like August, 2013 is, is the thing that is what, that is the kernel of what Foursquare is today. And, and we knew that we had to make that. Um, actually, we knew that someone had to make that. We did not know that we were going to be the one to make that until 2010. And once we had this epiphany of, if we don't make this, no one will, that is when the company went from being like, oh, we're a fun social media company into like, we are a hardcore technology and data science company. And that happened, you know, some, sometime around 2000, you know, 2011, I think, fall of 2011. But that was, um, you know, that, that's like a huge transformative moment of the company. I have to tell you, it's the, part of why I love talking to you, not just because I'm fanboying super hard on getting to talk to someone who founded, you know, one of the apps that was transformative of the social space, but the the story is is so real and it feels like any agency or any creative just like ideating and, and working through uh, and, and understanding that the road isn't straight. Um, and that you have, you know, the ability to, to react and, and I, and sort of, um, uh, war game a little bit and always be, and be able to have that, that, uh, that ability to pivot really just so fascinating. Um, I want to talk about your creative process a little bit uh, and move a, a slight step away from, from the, the app and the company itself. So when, even today, uh, when you just want to think or create, or um, you know, get thoughts down. What is your what? What do you do? Do you listen to music? Do you go for a run? Do you fly a plane? Like, what is the what's the dentist process for for thinking? I go into my hangar that is full of private aircraft, and I fly them around the world and dream of the. No, I, I, <laughs> I usually just walk around. Like, I, I have ideas just from walking through New York City. Like, I get inspired by. Um, like, you know, by people watching, by, um, like street art, by like looking at people, like trying to, trying to hack stuff, right. Like to see people pushing at the boundaries of like what you could do with like crypto and blockchain and NFT, like that, that, that's interesting. Like these are people that are like hacking stuff to make stuff happen. And I, I find that to be really, um, in, inspiring, um, I, I try to go on a run most mornings. It, clear, it clears my head. Like a lot of um, a lot of half baked thoughts kind of get fully baked when I'm on one of these runs. Like I listen to podcasts and I'll be like, oh, sh- yeah, I, I, I get it. I know what to do now, right? Um, my wife and I have a house um, outside the city, and I do a lot of yard work. And in the yard work, I I think about stuff. I just get it's it's like a way to unplug. It's awesome. Um, you know, I think my, my superpower, I've got these like field notes, notebooks. I have carried one of these in my pocket every day for, you know, probably 12 years now, since like the first year of Foursquare, I'm on, I'm on notebook number, hold on, let me look. This is notebook number 89 for me. I go through about one a month and I write down every single thing that I have to do every single half-baked thought, every single thing that I need to just like look into just a little bit more. And, and, every, and a, a notebook never gets retired until anything gets done. And like this, this system isn't for everyone, but it like, it makes me incredibly efficient. And it makes sure that like the half-baked thoughts don't get lost, right? Like the first 
three pages of my notebook are like, these are all half-baked thoughts that I need to complete and I just haven't had time to complete them. And there's, you know, there's 43 of them in this list. And these, you know, these are things like in my head, I'm like, someday I will make this. I don't know when, I don't know where, I don't know what company I'll be a part of that does this, but you know, th these are the things that I feel like need to be made. Um, and every time I start a new book, I, I rewrite this list and it, you know, grows by one or two things every couple months. And that's just part of the process for me. Like the, the long noodle, basically, right. You've got this like half baked idea and you just noodle on it for five years and then it starts to turn into something someday. And that's, that's, that's just kind of been the story of a lot of the stuff that I've worked on. I love hearing about that and sort of, it, it reminds me, I was just listening to, if you, if you haven't listened to the podcast, Song Exploder with Rishi K. Shirway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, awesome. I yeah. love that one. And he did uh, he did a, an episode in 2016 with um, Rivers Cuomo from Weezer. Yeah. And they tell the story of the song Summer Elaine and Drunk Dory. And in the, and in the story of the song, he actually talks about his songwriting process and how it's all driven through these like concentric spreadsheets and literally he, he throws all of these things into spreadsheets and the way yeah. and it's not so dissimilar to your to your notebooks like and yeah. he's able to use them it's quite fascinating <laughs> yeah it's i mean it's always just just having a having a process right and a process that keeps you you organized um and and i've got a, a couple of these like you know in in my notebook right now i have three different sticky notes for the three big projects i'm working on you know when i leave when I leave my apartment in the morning, right now I'm at, I'm at Foursquare HQ. Um, I take my sticky notes, I, I lay them out, and it's like, those are my three to-do lists. You know, I, I put them back in my book at the end of the day, and then wherever I end up working next, if it's a coffee shop or somebody's office or my kitchen table or whatever, I just set up my little workspace. You know, it's just having a routine and having a process that you can, you know, where, where you, by which you can be efficient and then making sure you can tap into that whenever you need it. When you think back to the beginnings of Foursquare, is there a song, a TV show, a food, a dish, something that just sort of sticks in your head as kind of the 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 background noise of, of the creation of the idea? I wish I could think of a song because that, that's the answer I want to give you. But um, the, the answer I have is that there used to be this this restaurant on the corner of Avenue A and 7th Street uh, in the East Village called uh, Flea Market, just like a standard French place. And we and the early Foursquare team would go there all the all the time and just go and get get dinner. And you know they had they had like a, a steak with uh, with Bernay sauce, Bernay sauce and fries, and that that's what we did. We did that a lot. Probably had that like one, once or twice a week. It was a lot. That was a lot of steak, um, but that's that's just what we did in the in in the in the early days, and that's where we would like you know you'd, you'd work all day and you'd kind of go there and do do that thing, right? Um, so between that and then we used to hang out at the Scratcher and the Magician a lot, and and these are you know bars in in the East Village or the Lower East Side or or Seven B, and and even now when I go back to those places, they're just like to me th those are the places where this stuff got got made, and not not. Like not like I was sitting in the bench working on it, but like you're that's where all that's where all of our coworkers, friends went down and we talked about what worked and what didn't work and what, what we needed to fix and what we're we gonna build next. And it's just like that's that's where our scheming and planning and organizing 
went. Like in the days before we had company meetings, like they were at the Scratcher and the Magician and Tom and Jerry's and 7B. And that's just the life that we were living then. So even when I, those places are still like super important to me and I have like an emotional connection to them. And like, I, you know, I try to go there when I can and stop in and get a pint if it's available um, be, because of that. Right. And I'm just loyal to those places in many ways. Oh, I love that. I feel like I just, you just painted a, a tapestry of the Lower East Side in the East Village that I'm like all here for. Okay, uh, bringing it on home. Last question. There is a Dennis or a Denise or a somebody sitting somewhere with their field notes and they're dreaming up their big idea. And what would you say to someone like that who has an idea that, that's as good as yours um, but doesn't know where to start? or is afraid to start? Yeah, the, um, uh, you know, this is advice I've given to a bunch of different entrepreneurs, but like if you've got idea, you have an idea that's stuck in your head and you can't get it out of your head, it's kind of like you owe it to yourself to go make that thing. Um, And to make that thing to the point where you either prove to yourself, hey, it's a pretty good idea, I should keep working on it, or uh, it's kind of a dumb idea for these reasons, reasons I now understand. And um, I, will, I will either change it or abandon it or do something else, right? But at, le- at least you, you saw it through. And a lot of people just don't, don't do that. Like it's very easy to fall into this trap of like, well, um, you know, maybe someone will make that someday, right? But like w- we did that for a while and then it's like, you know what, let's, let's just make this stuff ourselves. You know, it's very easy to fall in the trap of like, well, I don't know anyone that can make this, so maybe I'll just wait to meet that person. And, you know, and like, I'm not an engineer by training. I've never taken a computer science course, but like I taught myself enough PHP out of a book to make crappy prototypes of things just to build build something instead of building nothing, right? Which, you know, don't, don't underestimate your ability to do that. And, and the last thing is... Um, you know, I think you can live a lifetime listening to people tell you that your ideas are stupid. And I think you, you just, you just have to not listen to those people. You just kind of have to have this like internal swagger of like, maybe I just see the world a little bit differently and I'm going to try to make this thing. And if all goes well, like people won't laugh at my idea. They'll say, Oh, that was a cool idea. And I feel like I've been on that ride like a half a dozen times in my career. And every time I have an idea that people laugh at or think is kind of silly or not worth my time or whatever it is, and I power through the end of it, I'm usually like, that was a good use of time. I'm glad that thing exists. The world is better or cooler or more interesting because this thing exists now. And there's a lot of satisfaction that comes from making something out of nothing. And, And I would encourage people to to try to get on that ride sometime because it's like it's it's just it's a really it's a really fun way to spend your time. Thanks for that, Kenny. Dennis is such a smart guy. As someone who's entrenched in social media behaviors every day, what was it like talking to Dennis, who's clearly a huge pioneer in this space? I gotta say, it was like meeting a social media beetle. Um, it was it was really pretty spectacular for me and and who, someone who grew up on Foursquare. Uh, I, I loved getting the chance to talk to Dennis. Foursquare was really ahead of its time, and hearing the, hearing about how the app came to be and what was the inspiration for it, um, you know, building off of the kid simple uh, notion of anybody with a piece of chalk can create a Foursquare court. 
um, you know, this app, anyone with a smartphone who could play the game. And I, and I loved that. Also, hearing about Dennis and his co-founders and his team just grabbing beers downtown in New York City and, you know, brainstorming and, and ideating together made me pine for what's to come in a post-COVID world and, and the innovation that will happen when we can all get back together uh, and be in a room and share a beer. Um, so it was equal parts thrilling to look back at the past, but also really exciting to think about some of the, the innovation principles that they used and what that means for us as a society moving forward. Yeah, man, it's such a great, um, it's such a great insight into what that process is like and what it's, what in a lot of ways, the process is always like their, their dedication to simplicity, which comes up an awful lot in this, uh, podcast and understanding that, that that has to be at the center of everything, but also the ambition and the, you can't get around just the hard work to build it then, uh, which comes through a lot in this as well. Yeah, it was striking to me when um, we think about the criteria that we use at Gray to judge creative ideas, how that was so deeply intertwined into the DNA of a place like Foursquare. It's simplicity, it's audacity, and what it's trying to tackle in society and how it did it. Uh, the craft and care that went in to the nuances at a location level was really fascinating. Um, so really ahead of its time and really brilliant in its simplicity. Yeah, it was great. Well, that was really great conversation. So thanks for that. He's an interesting guy. Can you uh, tell us how we could learn more about him? Everything you want to know about Dennis, you can learn on his extremely straightforward website, denniscrowley.com. It is literally the most straightforward website I have ever seen. And you know, we love simplicity here. Awesome. I'm going to check that out. Thanks, Kenny. So that does it for us this week. The podcast team and I'd like to thank Tyler Becker at Betaworks Studios and Amanda Davis. If you'd like to hear how other creators, founders, and inventors thought up their ideas, follow this feed wherever you listen to podcasts and catch up on all past episodes. Feel free to reach out to us with questions and comments on Gray's social channels or our email address, podcasts at gray.com. And lastly, tell a friend about our show and help us share these great ideas. Thanks for listening to Gray Matter. Gray Matter is hosted by John Petrullis, produced by Danielle Hunt and senior producer Joey Scarillo, mixed by Guy Rosemarin at Gramercy Park Studios with post-production support from Ned Martin and Robin Frank. Additional support by John Jenkinson, Christina Hyde, Gigi Vera, Gabby Piatek, and Ryan Cunningham. Gray is a global creative agency whose mission is putting famously effective ideas into the world. Check out more at gray.com.